why don't you open up to the book of Romans? If you have a Bible in front of you and you're not quite sure where that all leads, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is in the latter part of the books, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then you'll find the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10. Starting in verse 9, we see here what the message is, and then Paul gives us the challenge to go share it. He's asking the question, who's going to do it if it's not you? So let me pick up in Romans 10, verse 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with one heart, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, what's the word there, will be be saved. Now, that's the message. Here's the challenge. Paul says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Take a second, look down at your feet. How do they look? They're beautiful if they're sharing good news. All right? Take a look at your neighbor's feet for just a second. (laughs) Tell them they have beautiful feet. Go ahead, tell them. You have beautiful feet. Tell them that. Nice. I like them right there. Beautiful. (laughs) If you're preaching the good news, you have beautiful feet. Good news. Well, I want to encourage you, if you would, to take out your outline. You'll see we have a few uh, other verses on there that I'll draw your attention to here shortly. But I want you to turn to the inside of your bulletin outline. In the remaining few minutes, I want to share a little bit and pick up a little bit more on where I ended last week in talking about these six different styles of evangelism and illustrate how you might do this in your life. And so last week we kind of discussed how this was kind of more the holy huddle that we're gathering with here, right? We're, we're, kind, of, we're kind of the game, we're kind of the team, we're on the ga- inside of this and we're planning, we're making the plans, the coach is telling us, okay, go execute, the coach has already said... I want you to share. You're the plan. Go share now. And so today we are going to talk about the last column, the action steps that we can share with each of these different personalities or styles of sharing our faith. You'll recall from last week, we talked about how um, we are told to share the good news. We're not necessarily told how to share the good news, not exactly how to share the good news. And so I encouraged you to share as you are shaped. 
God made each of us different. Some are introverts, some are vectorverts, some are thinkers, some are feelers. A lot of different ways, a lot of different personalities we have. And they're represented by these six different persons in Scripture. You can read the stories. We didn't have a lot of time to go over that last week. We won't again this week. But I encourage you to read those stories of how God used these people. And uh, we'll just go one by one by one. And we'll cover the action steps here today. So if you are a Peter type of personality, you probably know who you are. You are bold, you are brash, you know that your style of sharing your faith is a little confrontational. In fact, we said last week, how does God use us in that way? By being able to confront and to challenge, but also encourage others in their faith and to challenge them to take a step in their faith. And so the action step that I want to give you, we'll put up here on the screen, is, you know what, turn those everyday things that you do and start spiritual discussions out of them. You may be at the supermarket, Home Depot, wherever you go most often. You may just wait in line, talk about some recent things and tie them over into spiritual things. In fact, if you've seen the movie Noah, or even if you haven't seen the movie Noah, you can turn that into a spiritual discussion. Maybe talking to the person about, hey, have you read the real account of Noah that is in Scripture? Now, you don't want to be negative on things. We know that that wasn't the greatest of movies, right? We hope, though, that God uses it to get people into true Scripture um, and looking at the real story of Noah. But you want to be positive and maybe just start up some of those spiritual discussions with people. Um, this last week, there were a couple people who I started up with the discussion of saying, hey, are, are you going to a church next week on Easter Sunday anywhere? Where, where, where are you headed to go? That's a way of kind of starting up some spiritual discussions with people. Um, another great way of doing this, if you have a smartphone, which many, many of you do, I know, um, and you have different apps is, is to be looking at those apps, maybe in line, and, and, and get in a conversation about those and to draw that to one of your favorite apps. I hope you have this app. If you don't, you need it. The Bible, the version Bible that is on there, if you have not downloaded that onto your phone, that um, has every version you could ever want on there. It's an incredible, incredible app. And uh, just to get those spiritual discussions started with people. Now, if you are a Peter, you probably don't need a lot of help with you know, starting up conversations. You need a little bit more help with um, not coming on too strong when you start up those conversations. That's more of Peter's style. And so I would just encourage you, whatever you do, do it in love. Do it in love. And, and we just talked about some ways that you can kind of start up conversations, spiritual conversation with strangers. I know some of you have people in your lives that you're praying for that you've been sharing your faith with, and yet they are just not wanting to take that step. Let me give you something that, again, for those of you who are kind of a Peter personality, you might use this. I've done this with a few different people, and it really has made them think. Think about this for just a moment. We all are betting our lives on something or someone. If you believe that there is a God and he's revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, then you are betting that you, after you die, will be in heaven. If today you are here and you are saying, you know what, I don't believe that there's a God who's revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, then you are betting another way. And so let me just pose this before you. If you wanted to have a heart-to-heart dialogue with someone, you might get into a discussion about saying, you know what, if you are a betting person, where are your better odds placed? On this side, it would be that you are saying, yes, God is real And he has given his son, Jesus Christ, that we can have a faith in him and believe in God. And if that is true, if you are right with that bet, then that means your payoff is what? Heaven 
when life is over. Now, if you bet, yes, that's what I place my bet upon, and yet you are wrong, what's your payoff? Well, it's kind of a nothing. It's an ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Your body goes back into, you know, the earth, and we all go back and eat potato salad after you die. I mean, you know, that, that, that's just kind of it, right? So the, the high point, if you're right, is heaven. The low point, if you're wrong, is ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Let me go on the other side now. If you are on the side of saying, no, there is no God in heaven, he has not revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, then the best that you can do, your being right, is ending back up in ashes to ashes and dust to dust, back in the ground. And that's it. And if you say, however, that there is no God and he has not revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, and you are wrong, what awaits? hell awaits, right? So just to pose that between you and that person and say, where are you betting your life? That there is a God or that there is not a God? Because over here, you have either heaven or just back into the ground, but over here, your payoff starts with just nothing afterwards back in the ground or hell awaits. I've had people who I've talked with that and and are not believers, and it kind of makes them think a little differently about things. Now, that doesn't win them into heaven. It just gets them thinking, what am I doing with my life? Where is my life going? For those of you who are Peter-like, you just clicked onto that. You said, I like that. I can use that at some point. However, Peter is a little different than Paul. And so let me go to Paul, the second person that we talked about last week. We talked about how he is kind of this logical and reasoned. His evangelistic style was was intellectual. He laid the foundation of our New Testament faith and so many letters. And the book of Romans shares so much about what we believe and know of our Christian faith. And uh, so Paul presented and explained the gospel. That, That was his style. That was the way he shared his faith. And so let me give you an action step if you are like Paul. The action step that I would suggest to you is to share the Roman road. Some of you might say, well, what's the Roman road? I don't know what that is. Let me give you five verses. And this is what Paul has written up in the book of Romans. Five different verses. You can just write these down as they come up on the screen. It starts with uh, Romans 3.23. And then it goes all the way to Romans... I think we got that coming up there on the screen. Romans 3.23 into Romans 6.23 as well as uh, Romans 5, 8, Romans 5, 10, 9, and 10, and then Romans 5, 1. I, I think they're having some complications up there, so let me do this. Turn to the front part of your outline, and you can see that the Roman road is written right there. And so those are the verses. They're up on the screen now, and the verses are also right there on your uh, outline. Let me encourage you. Somewhere in your Bible, have those marked out. In fact, in my Bible, I've had it where I go to Romans 3.23, and then I say, now turn to Romans 6.23, and then I say, go to Romans 5.8, and then go to Romans 10, and then go to Romans 5 um, as a way of me walking someone through that gospel message. It's all right there. Paul lays that out. Now, that's if you have your Bible with you. If you don't, let me give you another way that you might be able to walk someone through that plan of salvation. Again, this would be a kind of a Paul way of thinking. 
because there's been many times when I've been having to pray with someone or talk with someone, and I don't have my Bible with them, so I'm not going to walk them through those five verses. Let me give you four words that you can remember, four very easy words that are up on the screen. God, sin, Jesus, you. What do I mean by that? Well, the, the probably easiest way of explaining that is the bridge analogy that I think many of you have seen at one point or another, but I drew it up here on the screen where there's a gap, a chasm between man and God that is separated man from God because of, and this is the second word, sin. So God is separated from man because of sin, represented by the big X that is there, which is why Jesus, the third word that comes across, has to be sent into the world, and Jesus enables us to then come to know God. And so that's the question that we put before them. What do you say about that? And the arrow kind of drawn across. If you want to take just a moment, even draw that out on your paper, or if you draw that out with someone, it gives them a real visual of God had a great plan for us, sin entered in, Jesus had to come in to take that punishment for the sin. What do you think about that? Where's your faith going to be placed? Again, that was the way that Paul thought. That was how Paul shared. Paul shared in Athens when when they came on Mars Hill and said, let me share with you who this one true God is, this unknown God that you've given a statue. Paul kind of reasoned and was logical with them. And so some of you who are like Paul are very much, I can follow that. I can do that. Great. Have that in your Bibles. Be prepared. That's your way of sharing your faith. All right. Those are the first two that we went over last week. Let me give you an action step as we come now to the blind man. The blind man, if you remember his story, um, was one of being very uh, telling people a testimony. Tell them until they ask you how is kind of how we address that and talked about that. And so the action step that we've come up for this one is develop your personal testimony. Write it out. Write it out so that you know it. Now, some of you are probably thinking, how in the world am I going to do that? Let me just give you three areas of developing your own personal testimony. Again, this is very, very simple. Before, how, and after. In other words, what was your life like before you became a follower of Jesus? How did you become a follower of Jesus? Then how's your life changed? What's it been like since or after? you become a follower of Jesus. And as you share with someone, if you want to put your testimony into those three categories, I think that will help you share. And I would even challenge you that you should be able to share that in about 30 seconds. Just a quick way of sharing that and tell them, if you would like to hear more about this, I'd love to take you out to lunch. I'd love to talk to you further. But don't corner them in. Don't give them a 15-minute you know, diatribe on exactly what it all was. You want to kind of read them But be able to explain that and being able to perk their interest that we talked about in the last couple of weeks of the hope that is inside of you, as Peter says that in 1 Peter chapter 3. We need to be able to share that and to know that. Remember the phrase, tell them until they ask you how. Let me give you a a story of how that's happened right here in our church over the last number of years. Um, George and Barbara Willis are uh, longtime members here. Barbara actually passed away. Uh, a couple of years ago, but George is still here in our congregation. In fact, I won't embarrass him now, but I'll point him out. He's right there. Um, So he said I could do that. We talked earlier this week, 
And um, we talked a little bit about this story and the faith that he now has, but he didn't for a number, a number of years. Uh, George and Barbara were married for uh, a a number of years. I think it was over 30 years. um, And Barbara became a Christian. She became a follower of Jesus. And she started to go into Bible study. And she started to change. And she began to pray for George that he would also have his life changed as well. But George wouldn't do it. He wanted nothing to do with that church stuff. He wanted nothing to do with that Bible. He was stubborn, as a lot of us men can be very stubborn. And so Barbara just said, I'm going to pray for him, and I'm going to just keep telling him and showing him the change that's in my life. That's what she did. She she began to just tell him about Jesus, but then more than that, show him the change that had happened in her life. And what she would do is when she would leave the home, go on shopping or other things like that, she would take her Bible and she would lay it out on the uh, table and um, she would just kind of flip it to the things that she was studying um, that week in her Bible study group. And she would leave and George would say goodbye. And when she would left, George would then go over. And he wondered, didn't you? He said, he said, I wondered what was in there. And so George would sneak over and he would kind of be a little afraid maybe to kind of come around, see what was there, but he would look. And he wouldn't touch, he wouldn't move it at first, but he would just look what was there. Barbara would come back and he would kind of go away like, no, I don't want to show her that I've been studying any of that or I've been looking at any of that. She would go away for a little longer time. He would actually come by and he would measure on the table where it was. So she wouldn't know he touched it. He would take his pencil and he would kind of put it right down like that. And then he would take it up like this, pick it up, and he would read it. He would wonder what's in here. Barbara would come back, and so he would put it right back there like he hadn't been touched. In fact, he told me this week, he said he didn't want to disturb the dust that was around the Bible there. And so he was just making sure that it wasn't moved. And she would leave tracks for him. And she would leave a literature for him. He would read it. He didn't want her to know he was reading it, but he would read it. Until finally one day, he said, okay, okay, what is in that book that has changed you? What's in there? I got to know. I look at that phrase, tell them until they ask you how. Tell them until they... And so she was able to tell him about her faith in Jesus Christ. And then she said, why don't you come to church with me? He said, ah, I don't want to go to church. And sooner or later, he began to come to church. In fact, he asked her the first time, he said, you don't have like any of those like, those extroverted like pastors who are there, right? And it was Pastor Jim. And so Barbara says, no, no, he's not very extroverted. No, not at all. He's cool. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. But he comes in and he comes in like this, both in a matter of months. Gives his life to Christ. In fact, George, you just showed me today. It was weeks, wasn't it? Before you were baptized and giving your life to Christ, he showed me the different dates in his Bible. In 1985, he gave up alcohol. In 1988, he came for the very first time. And within a couple of weeks, he had given his life to Christ and was baptized in the waters of baptism that we had up here. That's how much of a work God did in his life. Yeah. Praise God. And now, he, uh, we can't get rid of him around here, to be honest with you. He comes every day, every day but Saturday, because we're not open on Saturdays, and he is ministering, he helps count our finances, he comes down downstairs' office, and he just, he loves being around here, we love him around here as well. But it all really came because he had a wife who didn't push it on him, who didn't shove it in his face, but began to tell him until he said, all right, how do you do this? What is this about? 
So I encourage you, if you find that to be your way, do that. Pray that over. Continue to tell your story. Tell your story. Tell your story. Until people ask you, how do I do that? How do I come to know Christ as well? Let me keep moving on. The next person that we put down there was um, Dorcas. Uh, also went by the name Tabitha, if you like that name a little better. It probably fits into the 20th century a little bit better. Um, Acts chapter 9, she was always very helpful. Her evangelistic style was one of service, where it says there in Scripture that she was full of good works and acts of charity. That's who she was. That's what she did. She just exuded the love of Christ. And look at the difference here. It says, love them until they ask you why. Love them until they ask you. Let me give you your, your, your action step. Your action step out of this would be to be the good news before you share the good news. Or maybe I'll say be the good news while you're sharing the good news. Be the good news. Embody that. Look for strategic times to bless people. If someone on your block or a neighbor or a friend of yours, you know they had a baby, maybe get a meal over to them. Uh, may, maybe you see someone is sick in your neighborhood and their lawn is getting long. Maybe you go over and say, hey, can I mow your lawn? Do you need some help while you're recovering from your illness? Be that good news. You're looking for those kind of places to be the good news. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe you bless them. Maybe you just treat them in a little different way than everybody else does. You embody that. You bless them. You are the good news. That would be kind of a Dorcas type of style, a Tabitha type of style of sharing your faith. In fact, let me share a story with you. Someone who relayed this to me, and I asked them to put it down on paper um, about how they uh, gave their life to Christ and someone working in their life. Um, this person writes down, Kyle was the first one who showed me Jesus. said it was when I was senior in high school. There were 12 or so of us who were a pretty, night, pretty uh, close-knit, tight-knit group. And we're basically good kids. We, we got into a little drinking. We never did any hard drugs. We never vandalized things. But he says, I do remember Kyle was the worst of us. He would go out and party with other people, and then he'd live to tell the story. It was all around, though, in the fall of 2001 when Kyle met a gal who he began to date. This gal was one of those, quote-unquote, Jesus freaks. She would do crazy things like go to church two times in one week. She was constantly talking about Jesus, listening to Christian music, always weirdly joyful. He said, we didn't like her. Now, remember, we told Kyle to dump her because she was one of those weird Christians. Then our friend Kyle started going to church himself. He started to read his Bible. He started talking differently. He started acting differently. He would no longer drink with us, but instead he became the sober driver, saying, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll be with you guys, but I'm not going to do that, but I'll drive you so that you're safe. said, I remember really seeing that Kyle had changed. He was different. He would now do the weird things. He would read his Bible all the time, and frankly, it annoyed us. He said, one time I asked him to stop it because this constant Bible reading was embarrassing us, but he just smiled and said, I, I didn't understand quite yet. And it was then that he invited me to church, of which I turned down. He said, in fact, I turned him down several times, but Kyle kept it up. And he didn't give up because Kyle loved Jesus and Kyle still loved us. This person writes, I have heard youth pastors tell their students that they shouldn't 
or that they should give up their non-Christian friends. But he says, if Kyle hadn't loved us in this way, I don't know if I would be a Christian today. So he didn't give up on us. He stayed friends with us. He showed us Jesus was real. And he showed us that Jesus could change our life. Eventually, I did go to Kyle's church. And a few months after going to Kyle's church, I gave my life to Christ as well. In fact, Kyle showed me Jesus was real. And the church showed me who Jesus was. Now, now that's an interesting statement. Let me read that again. Kyle showed me Jesus was real. And the church showed me who Jesus really was. Now, I read that story, and then I tell you who this is. This is J.C. Elliott, who is our youth pastor now, who now himself is impacting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives because someone said, I love you. And someone loved him into the kingdom, and someone invited him to, make, to, to, to come to his church. Someone put it out there, and someone was the sober driver in the group, and someone said, I want to be different, and someone showed that kind of love until J.C. finally said, all right, why are you doing all this? It was St. Augustine who said, preach at all times, if necessary, use words. That's a great saying for this kind of an evangelistic style. Love them, love them, love them until they ask you why. Be that good news. Share. Share with others. Let me go to the last two. Samaritan woman. Remember her story in John chapter 4? She was a come and see kind of person. She was very invitational when Jesus told her about her life. She went around to the townspeople and said, you got to come. She brought her friends to Jesus. So the style that we put there was to invite, invite, invite. Obviously, the action step, I won't talk about this a lot here because we've been sharing this with you. The action step is to use your invites that we put in your bulletins today. And again, if you need more of those, they're out in the Next Step Center. We've had one person come in and say, I've already given 15 of these invites out. I need more. We say, great, just go on over there. You can have them. You can't do it enough. Remember what I said a couple of weeks ago, 35 to 40 million Americans who are not in a church right now, said that they would go if someone invited them. And I think that has to be higher at Easter time when people are more in tune with being around church and coming. The question is, do we have just one or two of those in our lives that we can make a difference with? Last one that's on your paper then is um, Matthew. And I shared a little bit last week about Matthew chapter 5, how Matthew, his approach would be an interpersonal kind of approach that while the Samaritan woman brought her friends to Jesus, Matthew brought Jesus to his friends. And this is kind of different here. And so this is kind of a different style. And some of you may, may kind of have this, and I want to just put this idea before you, because what Matthew is doing is he's turning impersonal into personal types of relationships. This is different than some of the other ones, because let's face it, some people um, are scared to death to go into church. Some people will tell you, oh, no, 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 the walls will fall down if I walk into that church, huh? You've heard it. You've heard those statements. In fact, some of you have thought those statements before you came into church as well. So how do we still get the message of Jesus to them? Well, here's the action plan that I put down for you. Throw a Matthew party. Throw a Matthew party. What is a Matthew party? A Matthew party is a purposeful party where you invite non-Christian and Christian friends 
to come together. You don't have to tell them why you're doing it. You're just bringing them together so they can see Christians are real people. So they can see Christians are everyday people. So they can see Jesus inside of us. And you say, well, why do you call it a Matthew party? Because that's what Matthew did in Luke chapter 5. In fact, if you want to jump over to Luke chapter 5, let me just read you the story. It's on the bottom of your outline. It'll be up here on the screen as well. But if you have a Bible, if you want to read it out of Luke chapter 5. Remember, Matthew was a tax collector. So we pick up the story in verse 27 where Jesus comes by his booth and says, hey, follow me. Matthew gets up and he follows him and some time goes by, even though it doesn't necessarily say that in the scripture, but you can tell some time went by and Matthew still has his tax collector friends. And so he decides, you know what? My friends are never going to darken the doorway of a synagogue. They would be judged. They wouldn't like it there. They're never going to go but I think they would like this Jesus. And so he says, why don't I throw a party, bring the friends over, and let Jesus come to it? Matthew 5, verse 29. And Levi, or Matthew, made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining that table with them. And then, dun-dun-dun... The Pharisees got wind of it. And the Pharisees decided, we don't like this. This isn't smelling good. So it says, the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and, what's the word there? Sinners. Sinners. Now, can you imagine? We don't know exactly how this next part goes, but I just have it in my mind's eye that um, this party is happening here in And Peter sees the Pharisees come. Excuse me. And Matthew sees the Pharisees come. And Matthew sees that they go for Jesus. And that they're talking over the crowd. And all of a sudden, Matthew feels, oh my goodness, I have done this wrong. I'm in big trouble. I'm getting Jesus upset. I'm getting the Pharisees upset. I'm getting the other people upset. No one's liking this. But then you hear Jesus speak up. And he says in verse 31, Hey, um, those who are well have no need of a physician, but it's those who are sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And you have to imagine Jesus coming over to Matthew. After the crowd kind of maybe had been milling for a while, and after the Pharisees have kind of tucked their tail between their legs and walked out. You have to imagine Jesus going over to Matthew and saying, Hey, Matthew, I love what you did tonight. Hey, Matthew, I know that was kind of tough, and I know that you kind of got the Pharisees upset, but that doesn't bother me. You keep it up, Matthew. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of your heart for sharing me with others. Matthew, you keep up. You keep your heart big. You keep sharing me with friends. Now, for some of you, that may be fun to do. Some of you may say, no, 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 I'm more the person. Bring them to church. So let's talk about them here. Others may say they would never come to church, so let's bring the story there. I don't care which way you do that. I don't think Jesus cares which way you do it, as long as we continue to do that. In fact, let me just share, just to end my message, a um, little story about how that has happened. This is an example of how um, some people 
did some things just like this Matthew party and explaining the gospel to others. This um, story we're going to show by video is filled with common, just everyday people here at First Baptist who took the call very seriously to share the good news, to share it whatever way that they could with their family and with their friends. And this is a story about a life, and really more importantly, a life of a family who has been impacted and changed because some people said, we want to be Jesus embodied to others. Why don't you take a look? Hi, I'm Kush Ashtori. I was born in Bombay, India, a long time ago, in December 7th, 1956. As a little child, probably about six or seven, I used to keep on asking my parents, what do you mean by this? And what do you mean by that? And, you know, when I used to go into a fire temple, I had lots of questions. And they refused to answer me. And at that time, I don't know how, you know, I was curious about finding true God. It's been 30 years that we have been here. And uh, I went through a lot of things in those, uh, I would say, at least 15 years of my life were very down. And uh, I had a lot of family problems. And uh, I was very lucky that I met George and Linda Wells and Ben and Rose Coach. was about 14 years ago in uh, Glenda and George's home and Ben and Rose were there and Ben led me to Jesus and also my daughter Tarana. We both gave ourselves to Christ and I think that was the best day in my life. Kush and Tarana were sitting on our sofa and um, they were just enthralled with what they were hearing and they they were just so excited that Ben actually stopped his teaching mid-sentence and he said, would you like to have the Lord as your Savior? As we was teaching, you know, I keep my eye on Cush and Tirana and I could tell they was just ready. And anyway, I thought they was. And of course, as I was talking a little more, all of a sudden I, I knew I stopped in the middle of a sentence the Holy Spirit just brought me to say that and I just asked him, would you like to become a believer of Christ I believe it was and oh man they was overwhelmed oh yes but we don't know how and I says well we can we can lead you to Christ if you but I says I want to make it clear this is done by faith and then I just did the you know led them to the Lord with a simple prayer. You know, it only takes a few seconds to become a Christian if you've got the heart's desire. They were so gracious enough to hold a Bible study. They told Ben, if you can just hold Bible study for this lady and my daughter-in-law, it'll be wonderful. So that's what they did. They opened their home, they taught us, they nurtured us, and we became a so joyful and happy that we know what who Christ was. And 
it from that day on you know i used to be such a fearful and such a shy person when i first came i was even afraid to ask somebody to use the restroom i was that shy to pick up a phone and answer the phone i used to be very very shy and today i'm actually speaking to so many people and my message is that believe in him cling to him adhere to him and trust in him because he will change you from inside out he will help you he will hold your hand and he will lead you through your life's problems my favorite verse is philippians 4 6 and 7 do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to god and the peace of god which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Today I can jump up with joy knowing that I have Christ in my life and I'm so so thankful to all these four people because they are the ones who led me to him.